Just a real quick note before we begin today's episode, I was once again invited back to co-host the Retro Recap for the New Game Plus podcast. The episode just went live at about the same time as this one did, and there will be a link down in the description. Come hang out with myself, with Clen, the host of Hindsight 2020, as well as one of the co-hosts of Alter Narratives, and fellow community member Brojim, as we just talk about a whole bunch of old games and memories of another podcast entirely. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, right, Mega Man Games. Today's episode is brought to you by Raid, AFK Royale a fast-paced idle game where you can build your team out of tens of thousands of junk characters, or 20 really good ones. Plan your strategy and teams for the intense challenges of bosses meant for whales who pay way more than you do, and then get dunked on by said whales in our totally balanced PvP. Join now with code BAITED and get 50 shiny sparklers, 10 crangle orbs, and your first free hit of cocaine, as we give you your first hit of that sweet, sweet slot machine dopamine, so you'll develop a gambling addiction with us. That's right, it's 2020's Mega Man X Dive as we kick off the second year of What Am I Pulling For? Wait, sorry, What Am I Podcasting For? Gotcha, brain. Hello, and welcome back to What Am I Podcasting For? My name's Carlisle, and this show is the chronicle of my attempts to play through the entire Mega Man series. From Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the hundred plus games in between as I can manage, as well as a game that came out two years later. So this is obviously breaking my tradition of playing these games chronologically. However, one thing that has become apparent, as I have been looking into the games I will be able to play for this show, is that mobile games are transient. If you don't play them when they're around, they vanish. There are pieces of Mega Man history that, if I'm lucky, I might be able to dig up, like a couple videos of to look at, but that's it. You can't play them. And there are people out there who are making efforts to change that. For instance, there's two Mega Man mobile battle network games that are in the process of like a massive community effort to not just extract off of a phone from that era, but to preserve and become able to be emulated and stuff so they aren't lost completely. But any game that was a live service game is a transient being. Once that service goes off, that's it. Mega Man X Dive isn't in danger of dying anytime too soon. But it is the only active live service Mega Man game, and I wanted to do this now because despite having released almost close to two years ago now in Taiwan, in its initial release, it finally released in North America about a month and a half ago as of the recording of this episode. So, Mega Man X Dive was developed by Capcom Taiwan as a mobile, live-service, free-to-play game, and that sounds like I just listed Three Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Listen. I do not believe that mobile or free-to-play necessarily need to be bad indications of a game's quality. With the state of modern cell phones especially, and the state they have been in for a few years now, they are not really that far behind a decent computer, they just have a touch-based interface. There were a lot of perfectly good touch-based games developed during the DS and 3DS era. There is no reason that a modern cell phone game cannot be good based on similar mechanics. Similarly, free-to-play 
does not necessarily mean it has to be trash. There are some excellent free-to-play games out there which are based on the idea of making the game available for everybody to play, but if they want to pay and get some bonuses, usually something cosmetic, they can do that. Games like Path of Exile or Legends of Runeterra are excellent demonstrations that some of the best games in their genres can be free to play. And even live service. The idea of a game that isn't standalone and like fixed, but is constantly being updated with new content and new stages and new characters and yada yada is actually pretty cool. These things do not inherently have to be bad. And I'm saying that like I'm about to try to defend this game. But I'm going to save the ranting about the things this game does wrong for the end. And for the time being, I'm going to try to just discuss what this game is. Mega Man X Dive is based on the Mega Man X timeline specifically, which hasn't seen a game at the moment in roughly 15 years. And yes, it is produced by Capcom Taiwan specifically, not Capcom Japan. This is not Capcom Taiwan's first original Mega Man title, believe it or not, but we'll come to those in due time, I'm sure, if I can get my hands on them. And how it plays, once you're actually in a stage, is as a Mega Man X game. Regardless of which character you are playing as, the game actually handles very true to the Mega Man X physics. You're dashing and jumping and shooting, and all characters have access to double jumping or a jump in an air dash. You have all these familiar movement options that make the Mega Man games fun. Of course, there are some differences. Every character in this game, because you can play as an absolute ton of different characters, every character in this game comes with two personal abilities that function on a cooldown rather than an ammunition system. For instance, one character might have a charge shot where you press the button once to start charging and then you press it again to fire and then the cooldown starts before you can use it again. Or they may have like different special attacks that resemble different weapons from throughout the series. They might have more like utility-oriented stuff, such as being able to dash forward while invincible. On top of these two abilities that your character brings to the table, you enter every stage with two different weapons equipped, which fall under a variety of different categories. Busters, rapid-fire machine guns, rocket launchers, close-range spray guns, and melee weapons like the Z-Saber, which, listing some of those, some of those don't sound quite so familiar to Mega Man as a whole, but they kind of actually fit the general purpose of, like, different kinds of weapons that you see throughout the series, sort of. But nothing will prepare you for how funny it is to just see classic Mega Man carrying around a giant, semi-realistic machine gun. There's other functionalities too, like you get a couple of super moves that you can use precisely once throughout a given stage each. You can customize your weapons by attaching different boss attacks to them. It is fairly different in theory from traditional Mega Man, but in practice it doesn't actually feel that bad, especially because this game does support external gamepads. You can actually play this with a controller, and if you bother to do this it actually feels pretty good. One thing that is a little weird is that the game does make use of an auto-lock-on system, but honestly it adds a little bit of precision and stuff that the game probably would have suffered some without, so I don't really mind it. There is a certain degree of imprecision that does come with being like a touchscreen interface that they had to adapt for, and they did a pretty decent job. It isn't quite traditional Mega Man as we know it, but if you pick up this game and play it, it will still feel like you are picking up and playing a new Mega Man X game. It still moves like one. 
A couple things, though, are pretty critically different. One is the fact that this game is an action RPG, and what that means is there is a lot of numbers involved. As you play the game more and more, your player level will go up. That will allow you to further level up different characters and your different weapons to increase their stats so that you deal more damage, so that you have more health, so that you have more defense. And this does mean that while it is a Mega Man X game, there is such a thing as just running into kind of a hard wall, where even though you're playing really, really good, you run out of time on a given stage, because stages are timed. It doesn't matter that you could fight the boss for 10 minutes without getting hit, you could only play the stage for 10 minutes, you need to go level up. This is this is really rare. Realistically, you will run into situations where you're getting like one shot by everything instead. This game does not stop you from attempting to bat above your power level, so to speak. If you want to take on something that's intended for a player twice your level, you are welcome to, and if you can do it, cool, you can do it. But it is something to note, is that this is a game where skill is not the only factor that plays into how good you are. One other thing to note about the way the game is structured is that it feels a little bit more like a beat-em-up sometimes in action, in that as you play through the stage, you will encounter segments where the screen will lock into place, and you will have to defeat a small selection of enemies dropping in and teleporting in and stuff in order to unlock the screen and be allowed to progress. These little arenas are kind of fun for the first little while. They can get a little bit frustrating over time. Sometimes they just have enemies teleport in and explicitly very rude locations, oftentimes in such a way that you may not necessarily have time to react before the ride armor that teleported in right next to you punches you in the face for a huge amount of damage. But for the most part, cases like that are rare, but definitely existent. Once you finish up any given stage that you're playing, you don't go back to, like, a boss-style 8-stage select. This game has an absolute ton of stages. It has a variety of modes that I'll cover in a little bit, but mostly the game flow is that you pick a stage, you finish the stage, you get a variety of different rewards, which might help you go level up your characters or get you materials for some other purpose. You'll be back at your menu, you'll do something to upgrade your characters if you want, and then you'll go in again. Being a live service game, this isn't really a game that has an ending to it. Even if you were to successfully catch up on the whole story, somewhere down the line in a couple months, there'll probably be more added. Even when you hit the level cap, the level cap will be increased. You can continue to grow. To keep the game fresh, it is always constantly updated. There's new events every so often that come with like an additional stage or two. There's daily objectives to complete to get you to play a little bit of everything every day. And it's this core loop of just playing some each day as opposed to like mega marathoning the game, reaping the rewards, and consistently and constantly growing bit by bit by bit. It's the standard mobile game loop, just it's also Mega Man X. So one thing that I will talk about and give this game some praise for is the variety of different modes available to play through. First off, you do have a story mode. The story mode takes you through different areas, which 
I haven't even mentioned this. This game is rendered in 3D. It is a 2D platformer. It's still left to right, like all the Mega Man games we've had in the past. But all the visuals done in it are 3D. They're not super amazing 3D. They're not really anything above PS2. My understanding is that a lot of these visuals were based on a PSP title, which we will eventually come to in, honestly, quite a while. And it's 3D renditions of stages from throughout the Mega Man X series, except weirdly enough, a lot of the stages tend to come pretty much exclusively from Mega Man X and X4, and then the ZX games, and maybe occasionally one of the Zero games. The core idea of the story is that this game doesn't take place in a Mega Man X timeline. It takes place in, like, a cybernetic dimension that is based on the memories that people have of playing various games, and this idea that something's going wrong in this metaverse, and the memories of these games are, like, glitching and combining together and stuff, and so you're playing through these stages in order to sort them out. So even if the stages are based on, say, Armored Armadillo's stage, you might end up fighting Vile at the end of the set of stages. They aren't even necessarily always characters and bosses and stages and stuff from the X series exclusively. Over time, Mega Man X Dive has become something of a celebration of the entire Mega Man series. The global server has already run an event for the classic Mega Man series and is about to do one as of this recording for the Zero spin-off series, while the Taiwanese and Asian servers have had events for Battle Network and Star Force and ZX and Legends and basically run the whole spread of Mega Man with that said, most stuff that you're going to encounter throughout the story is still pretty much all the X games because they just really like to use that material. And I mean, it is Mega Man X Dive. There are a couple original characters that are the focal points of the story. Your robotic navigator girl named Rico and a mysterious dude who looks a lot like a palette swap of Zero named V, who... um. That's probably the point, is that he's a palette swap you're supposed to be suspicious of him. I'm not entirely convinced they didn't just do it to save budget. I will say I didn't finish the story, but also I don't think I care really all that much. It wasn't really dropping any hints of being anything all that interesting. There's other single-player modes as well to be had. Race mode, for instance, challenges you to race through a small stage every single day, and your time gets pitted against three other random players, and at the end of the day, whoever had the best times gets the most rewards for that day. There's the Jacob Orbital Elevator, which is based on a location of the same name from Mega Man X8, which is a, like, 100-plus stage endgame goal where every additional floor challenges you to new waves of enemies or increasingly difficult bosses, just scaling higher and higher and higher and higher. And you can't just take infinite swings at it either. When characters fall in the orbital elevator, you need to wait until tomorrow in order to use them again. There is, of course, all the different events, which there's usually a new event every, like, week or two, which will challenge you to get through stages at increasing difficulties, or try to, like, register the best time on given stages that you can, or even dealing as much damage to a boss as you can. The game does put a heavy emphasis on events that have a, like, competitive edge where you are ranking against other players, and it's not particularly interesting sometimes either because it's just who has the most resources to sink into the game and the most time to just grind constantly and we'll come back to player versus player aspects of this game because there are in fact multiplayer modes in this game one of which is a cooperative mode 
where you and another player actually tackle a stage simultaneously helping each other out, which is a feature that like, online cooperative simultaneous play is something the Mega Man series I don't think has ever had. So that is something that's completely novel to this game and is kind of neat. The other mode is PvP, where depending on what you pick, it's either one character with three lives on each side, or you have to build a team of three characters of your choosing to face an opponent's three characters of their choosing, and it's just kind of an elimination match where you're trying to outduel your opponent. And this is where we start running into problems. Because let's step back and talk about the characters a bit. So Mega Man X Dive features a lot of characters. I mean a lot of characters. If you want to play Mega Man X alone, yes, you get X as a character just immediately upon starting the game. Of course you do. But also there's like eight or nine different variant versions of X. There's first armor, second armor, ultimate armor from four, ultimate armor from command mission, a version of X that's equipped with the rising fire from X4, a version that is based on like a fancy figurine that was sold at one point, Mega Man X dive unique armor set version of X. And all of these are counted as different characters. And just about anybody you can think of that has been a significant character from throughout the X series is playable. You want to go play as Zero? Yeah, there's like 10 different Zeros. You want to go play as Axel or Iris or Pallet or Lair or Alia? Do you want to go play as Sigma? You can go play as Sigma. There's like two different files you can play as. And it doesn't stop at just the X series either. If you want to play as Classic Mega Man or Roller Proto Man, you can do that. Want to go pick up Mega Man EXE or Base EXE from Battle Network? Bam, done. Harp Note, Leviathan, Harpuya, Tron Bon, the Servbots. Heck, there is a variant of Mega Man Volnut, who is in the dark armor that he gets from, like, breaking the law and stuff, where he gets an attack where he just kicks a vending machine open. And of course, beyond just canonical versions of the characters, this is a gotcha game, which means there's Halloween versions of Vile and Sigma. And of course, there's fan service. Yep, this game tends to forget sometimes that some of its characters are, in fact, robots because they really cared about the jiggle on the physics of those swimsuit alts. And I'm not talking about on the boys. And if you're thinking, well, at least they put the boys in swimsuits too. No, they didn't. Are you kidding? That doesn't sell in a mobile game. Well, actually, they kind of do in a lot of games, but not one with a presumably primarily male-intended audience like this one. My point is, is there's a whole ton of characters, and that's really cool, minus two problems. The first is that they're not remotely balanced. Like, every character is usable and playable, and generally there is some place in the game where they will do pretty alright, if nothing else. But especially in PvP, it starts to become really, really apparent that some characters just were not designed at all with the consideration for the fact that these characters would have to fight each other, even though PvP has been in the game pretty much the entire lifespan of the game, is my understanding. There are characters straight up who can just if they get close to you, one-shot you in PvP. <laughs> the difference between a character who's good at something and a character who's bad at something is gigantic, and if it just so happens that the character that you like happens to be bad at a thing, well, guess you're just gonna have to deal with that. But that assumes you get the character. Because this is a gotcha game. Oh boy, here we go.
Some of you might not know what the term gotcha means. A short form of the term gotcha pawn, which was a company that makes those little capsules that you've probably seen at like movie theaters and stuff where you like insert a quarter and you turn the handle and a little capsule with a little random toy drops out or like a little snack or something like that. That's a gotcha machine. Gotcha mechanics in video games are basically the same idea. You insert a resource that the game gives you and it spits you back out something at random. In this game, it's either a new weapon or a new character, which means there's not really often generally going to be a deterministic way to ensure you actually get to play the character who has you excited to play this game, because that's how the gotcha do. All the really rare good stuff is saved specifically for this gotcha. It's not earnable in-game. Of course not. Why would it be? They can make you pay money for these attempts. And we'll loop back around on that. I don't think gotcha is a fundamentally unsalvageable thing to exist as a mechanic. As a monetization strategy, go to hell. As a mechanic, I will confess... I played Final Fantasy Record Keeper for almost five years, and that was a gotcha game. And I do genuinely think it being a gotcha was part of why I enjoyed it. Not for the fact that it was essentially slot machining and hoping for something good, but because the results of those pulls in a strategic turn-based RPG meant that no matter how much myself and the community learned about how the game worked, how specific bosses we were being challenged to worked, it didn't matter... If somebody else beat the thing and demonstrated it, I had to find my own way to do it because I didn't have the same tools as other people. Within that strategic setting, the gotcha mechanism actually made things interesting. Within an action game, it doesn't. It just means that the things that you want to play, you're not guaranteed to have, so that they can bait you into spending to get it, without even guaranteeing that you're actually going to get it. And this is where I start to rant about how greedy this game is. Listen, gotcha games fundamentally are greedy. If you're listening here and you're like, oh, they're not that... You've just grown used to it. If any standalone game ever looked at you and said, hey, pay 20 bucks and we might give you this DLC, you would flip them off and go play something else. Because that's essentially what it is. Something that in a standalone title might run you like five bucks to add something to the gameplay experience, gotcha games will dangle that in front of you and go, well, maybe you can have it. Just keep paying money until our RNG decides you can. Yes, theoretically, this game has a pity system. If you do 250 pulls on a banner, 250 is an absurd amount of resources in this game. We are talking months worth of saving up. And in that time, a few dozen characters are going to have been added. And if you think, well, maybe there's a decent chance that on the way to that 250, I will just get them anyway. Yes, technically. But also, the chance of getting a unit who's being featured, if they're the only unit being featured in this game, is about 1%. When I say this is a slot machine, I genuinely mean it. Gotcha is a slot machine, but if you win, you're not getting paid out extra money, you're getting the DLC you were after in the first place. And that's why I hate it as a monetization mechanic. If it's built as a game mechanic, there might be times where it functions, but if a game's method of getting money is to force players into paying for a gotcha, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people going, yeah, but you can play these games free to play. You can. You're a second class citizen. And the thing is, is somebody out there is paying for it. Somebody out there is basically paying for the game to continue developing. And if you're lucky, they're just somebody with a huge amount of expendable income who happens to be okay supporting the thing. That's the ideal situation. 
And if it were truly only those people spending money on these games, I might not hate it, but that's not how it works. A lot of the people who are actually supporting these games aren't blessed with expendable income, and who are trying really hard not to pay attention to the amount of money they have spent on a game, because they really don't want to look at that and recognize they have a problem. It's the people who end up blowing their entire savings, chasing down that little hit of dopamine of finally getting the thing they wanted, because it's the only joy in their life, because they just lost family members, and now those savings they had for their kid to go to college don't really matter anymore. And if that sounds like a very specific example, well, that actually happened to somebody I knew who played FFRK. And that was FFRK's horror story. Every gotcha community has their tales of the people who blew through thousands of dollars. The people who got confronted by loved ones over like, hey, where the hell did all of our savings go? The people who broke down on stream after blowing a thousand, two thousand dollars trying to chase down the one new character that they've been super excited for and having them not show up. And Listen, there are people out there who are going to look to excuse that. There are people who have heard already in this podcast, oh, well, it's a 1% chance of a featured unit. Well, it's a good thing it's not fake Grand Order. Ha ha ha. Don't let that be normalized as okay. Don't let there's a shittier equivalent of it out there negate the fact that this slightly better version is still shitty. And as long as the people playing these games continue to excuse it and go, oh, it's free to play, you don't have to complain about it, just let it be. As long as that continues to be the case, game developers are going to create that shitty experience that comes with a real toll. When the experience does not need to be designed to be shitty in the first place. And yes, yes, I am mad about it. <sighs> X-Dive doesn't even limit itself to, oh, we just get our money from Gotcha. Just about any resource in the game you want. Yeah, you bet there's a way you can just pay to get more of it. <sighs> and I really don't want to have had this whole episode been me complaining about Gotcha, but like I said, I don't think it adds anything to the game. It takes away from the game because it just says, a huge amount of the content of this game, all the dedication that goes into all these characters and their animations and their different playstyles and their different mechanics, they're locked away behind a gotcha. You as a player, unless you put down thousands into this game, a ton of the effort the devs put into this game, you're not going to get to do. Instead, every couple weeks, you're going to get like a new stage to play over and over and over again every day for the two weeks that the event is around. And now I think you can see why I stopped. And that isn't even to get into the part where, like, even if you do get a character or a weapon, oftentimes some of the cooler things about those characters and weapons are tied behind ranking them up, which requires you to gather more and more and more resources that are limited in quantity unless you spend a bajillion on the gotcha to get duplicates to get free copies of those resources in order to unlock these extra functions on these characters and weapons that actually make them really neat and interesting. When I opened this episode up, saying that free-to-play and live service and mobile games don't have to be crappy. I meant it. I genuinely believe each of these things has the capacity to produce some awesome games, and there are demonstrably really good games. But also, when you put those things together, people are willing to settle for absolute crap. And because they are willing to settle for absolute crap as just a proven market, even if this game is good... Those absolutely crappy monetization systems that are being used to quote-unquote fund the game drag the game down. 
what could have been an actually very competent, very fun, very interesting Mega Man mobile experience that celebrated the whole series is weighed down by somebody really wanting it to make a whole lot of money. Because the worst parts of Gotcha is, as much as I've just ranted about it, it's one of the most profitable ways to make a game these days. I will say, if you're okay with the fact that you're going to be a second-class citizen and you don't have any guarantee about getting anything in the game, if you just want to play it kind of lightly on occasion, you could probably go and enjoy Mega Man X Dive right now. If you do not have access to a phone that's good enough for Mega Man X Dive, grab the Bluestacks emulator on your computer and it will run in Bluestacks just fine if you have a halfway decent computer. If you go to Rockman X Dive's website, the website for the Taiwanese version of the game, it is in English, and you can straight up download the Android version of the game directly from their website safely as an APK and install it onto your phone or onto Bluestacks and play it directly. And yes, the Taiwanese version of the game is actually completely in English. Or I should say English. There's definitely some mistranslation stuff going on here and there. But its primary language is English. It's completely playable and has been for over a year. And I have to say, I actually do want to commend the developers on just making the APK downloadable. That's really cool of them. This might be a game that will never reach its full potential, but you can still go and play it. Just, you know... Be aware that if you are interested at all in putting money into this game, you are playing a slot machine for DLC. And that's just something you should not do. And if nothing else, Mega Man X Dive is giving us some banger remixes of music from throughout the series. I don't have a specific top three to share with you. I've just been peppering in just into this episode at random because... Honestly, it's all pretty good, but also it's hard to find like a unified playlist of all the new music and remixes it has had. Yes, the majority of the music is just remixes, because this is a game that's about like the entire history of the Mega Man series. Of course it's remixes. But I will share my personal favorite to cap us off, a remix of a stage from Mega Man X8, the Jacob's Orbital Elevator. Mm. I know we haven't covered X8 yet, but trust me, the original version of this track is really good, but oh my god what the guitar does to this version of the track is so good.
And with that, that wraps up Mega Man X Dive. I'm still a little hazy on exactly what order I'm going to be tackling the upcoming games in, especially because one of them I really don't know if I'm going to be able to track down. But going forward, we will be resuming going through things in ideally chronological order. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to start jumping around on the timeline. This was kind of an exception. But for all the celebrating of Mega Man's past that this game might have been and that we've been talking about, the next Mega Man game is going to be a little weird in that I don't actually know if Mega Man appears in it anywhere. But I guess we'll figure that out when I play it for the first time next and report back to you. Until then... If you've enjoyed the show, feel free to leave an email at whatamipodcastingfor at gmail.com. Feel free to stop by Twitter at whatamipodcast4 using the number 4, waipf.podbean.com if you need the RSS feed or just want to catch the latest episodes for direct download. Thanks for listening. I've been Garlisle, and just remember that I didn't even start covering all the bugs that have hit the global version of this game, including an event stage that featured invisible spikes, a rush jet that could not fly upwards. <laughs> if you do need to play this game, my sincere recommendation is go play the Taiwanese version. Today's episode is brought to you by the absolute salt mine that is Genshin Impact. Listen, if they didn't want to get one-star reviews, they should have given their players five-star characters. Actually, wait, we can do this intro. By the time this episode comes out, that's going to be like three months old. Oh well, it'll be funny in bloopers. <laughs>